I'm excited to be here because I haven't preached in forever, and I'm like really pumped to be preaching tonight. So, good stuff. All right, how many art majors we got in the place? Uh, we got a bunch. I mean, don't lie. Come on, represent if you're art. Steven's art, Rachel's art. All right, art majors. Caleb's not here tonight. I know we had a bunch, so that works, you know? Hey, whatever you like about art. Who's taking art history? Art in high school? Uh, who failed art? Me. I'll be honest, that is the only class in my entire life that I've ever dropped. I dropped art, but I did sell two paintings. If you look backwards, you'll see my mom. She's sitting there. I sold two paintings to her. And uh, it's a great story, actually. You know why I sold them to her? <laughs> because we were doing the project, okay? And let me tell you this project. I had to go and find objects around the house. I had to find, like, shapes, okay? And I, then I had to dip them in some sort of paint product and put them on a paper straight. And so I did this, you know, and I thought it was wonderful. I mean, it was amazing. The, the, the paper just, they were so straight. And the boxes were so boxy. And everything was just perfect. And then my mom said, that's not good. Whoa, Jacob, you're going to have to redo that. And it broke my spirit, you know. And anyway, so she felt so bad that she bought my paintings. But um, <laughs> five bucks a piece. I was, I was like, I love art, man. I love art. Ten bucks richer, I walked out the room. All right. Um, but anyway, that's not what I'm talking about tonight. Um, if you click the first slide, I want you to see this place. Now, I don't care who you are. If you know anything about art or not, this is inspiring. That is like an amazing room. Anybody know where that's at? There we go. It's the Sistine Chapel. It's painted by some of the world's most renowned painters, one of whom is not the Ninja Turtle, but is Michelangelo. He painted the ceiling. And um, they're called frescoes, by the way, each individual art piece. Hundreds of years ago, he was commissioned by the Pope to paint this chapel. Now, if you look at the chapel, there's something else that's really special about it. It's built to the exact specifications of the temple in the Old Testament. So I bet you didn't know that, but now you do. Now, if you see this, I mean, it's just awe-inspiring. It's beautiful. And so click to the next one real quick. A few years ago, in 1989, they decided that they wanted to restore the Sistine Chapel. Now, it took, let's, let's go back right here. It took Michelangelo four years to do his part initially on the ceiling. He painted a bunch of frescoes on the top. And he actually did some more work in the back later on in, uh, after the sack of Rome. But you can read about that in history. But uh, anyway, it took him four years to do the top. But a team was assigned to restore the artwork after hundreds of years. See, what happens is, if you look at the first one, after hundreds of years, candle wax would, would go up and smoke because they did services there. In fact, they don't even really use the chapel very often. They use it for papal coronations and things like that. Very special events, and um, but they used it, and so lots of things happened in the church, and the smoke would rise and it would set on the painting. And so, over hundreds of years, the paintings began to be dull. And so, if you look at the first one, you can kind of see that it's not real good looking. And so, what they did was they uh, they figured out a multi-step process. I want to make sure I get this right for all of my uh, you know art people in the room. But it was a five-step process. It started with chemical analysis of the actual painting. 
So they wanted to make sure that they didn't mess it up at all. And so then after that, they would use, let's see, what is it called? They would use, okay, they attached an inotonical. I don't know if I'm saying that right at all. But it's a certain type of chemical. And then they would do another chemical treatment. And what it would do is it removed the resin and, and the wax that had built up over years. And so you can see in the middle there, it's, it's kind of in the middle of the process, the second one over to the, that side. <laughs> and then down, it's a little bit further along. And the very last one is the final product. And it's really bright and beautiful. Now, this, this sparked a huge controversy in the art world. Some people said that Michelangelo put the darker layer on top because he wanted to have that older effect with the light. And other people said, no, there's no way he intended to do that. But in the end, they cleaned it off anyway, and, well, that's the way it is. Click to the next slide. Now, oh, man, I don't know if you can really see that. But if you look at that, it's a painting. Yes. This was actually taken in Italy, in Rome, by um, my dad. He was there on a business trip, and he took a picture of this painting. And what... The very first thing I thought when I saw it is, wow, that's probably worth more than anything I'll ever get in my life, being that it's priceless. And um, it's messed up. I mean, look at it. It's like, it looks like it's got like chunks taken out of it. And I was like, what's going on with that? It's, it's a messed up painting. And he said, they're restoring it. And I realized something after studying that picture and studying the Sistine Chapel and its restoration product, project. They go little pieces at a time. And why they go like random, I'm not really sure. But they don't do it all at once. They don't do the whole painting at once. It takes lots of time. And they go piece by piece by piece by piece. And they're very careful. And if they do it just right and in just the right amount of time, they can have the, the masterpiece shine in its original glory. Hit the next slide in a sec. So this is like a before picture. This is actually one of the um, frescoes from the Sistine Chapel. And click it again. And there's the after. And if you can see, it's like a dramatic difference. And look over to the sides of this picture. It gets dark. You can see where, like I said before, they don't do the whole thing at once. So it goes from dark to light to dark again. And so you can see what an amazing difference the restoration makes on the, on the painting. Tonight, guys, I want to talk about restoration and what that word means, what that means in our lives. And uh, let's pray. I think I really feel like God gave me a scripture to pray tonight, which is kind of weird, but it's just the way he spoke to me. So let's pray. God, I love you so much. God, I think you're amazing. I think everything you've done in this world is amazing, God. Just the fact that we walk around and that we breathe and that we... We can have feelings and emotions. God, that's such an awesome thing. God, we truly are a masterpiece of your creation. God, I can look outside and I can see things that are beautiful. God, and that is all inspiring to me. God, I can, I can look outside and I see a sunset and it's amazing. But God, you're so much more than that. You come and you move in our spirits. And tonight, God, I pray just like the prophet Isaiah prayed, God. I pray that what he wrote in chapter 64 of Isaiah would be true tonight. God, Isaiah wrote this, and God, we pray it tonight with all of our hearts. Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your very presence. 
as fire causes wood to burn and water to boil, your coming would make the nations tremble. God, we pray that you come into the lighthouse tonight and you make us tremble. God, that your power would rest in this place. God, that you would quake the ground, that we would never be the same again. When you came down long ago, you did awesome things beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who waits works for those who wait for him. You welcome those who cheerfully do good, who follow godly ways. And God, we admit that we don't always follow godly ways and we don't always follow your decree. I know I don't. But can I ask anyway that you would come like you came long ago and you would blow our minds beyond our wildest expectations. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and click the next one. Restoration. One more time. Restoration, a return of something to a former, original, normal, or unimpaired condition. That's what the word means, according to dictionary.com. But I thought that was very interesting. An unimpaired version of the original, the normal condition. It doesn't take very much to look around and see that we live in a broken world. I don't know about you, but I've seen too much. You turn on the news and you see things, people fighting over money and land, and it's so stupid. It really is. And people getting killed for what seems to be nothing. People die young. I don't understand it. I don't understand why good people die so young. It seems like that's the way it always works. The better the people, the worse their life is. And I don't understand it sometimes. And of course, it works both ways. The Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But that's a question that I wrestle with. God, why is there kids in the world that don't have any food? It doesn't make sense. We live in a broken world. And, and I've wrestled with that for quite some time. And I thought, God, what's going on? See, yeah, we live in a broken world. But God is in the process of restoring it. And see, we can only see part of the story right now. If we look around where we're at, things are crazy and everything's broken and messed up. Sometimes our life is like that. And like, I feel like, God, my life is so crazy right now. But if we flip to the end of the book and we read the last chapter before we get, you know, there. Like, I don't know if you do that, but like you're reading a mystery book and you really want to know who did it. So you flip to the last chapter And you're like, I know now. And then you don't go back and finish the book because that's boring. But I want us to do that tonight. Let's flip to the last chapter. Go ahead and go to Revelation 21.5. It's not actually the last chapter, but it's the last book in the Bible. And it explains so much to me. It explains what God is doing. In verse 21, verse 5, Revelation 21, verse 5, it says this. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give the springs of water of life without charge. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children Let's stop there. See, if you don't read that very carefully, 
thinking of the context it was written in, you miss what is, what's going on. See those words, all who are thirsty come to me? That's not the first time they were spoken in the Bible. See, there's a place in Isaiah, we're not going to read that together just because I don't want to spend too much time on it, but there's a place, and it was the very beginning of the prophecy. In Isaiah, the prophet wrote this, he said, All who are thirsty, come to me and drink, for I will build a new heaven and a new earth. Wait a second, we just read that at the end of the book. And see, and then God says this, he says, very specifically, he says, Then your children will not die young. Then... You will work and it won't be in vain. It's in the Bible. It's in Isaiah. Let me see. I have it written down. I don't remember the um, the actual thing. It's in Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. Write that down and go read it tonight. Because to me, it's like the most encouraging scripture. That life is not always going to be like trashy. Eventually, God is going to build a new heaven and a new earth. And so what I want to illustrate with that point tonight is that we're in the middle of something. And maybe you didn't realize it, but we're in the middle of the restoration. So follow me. God has started something and he will finish it. But right now, God is restoring humanity. And if you listen to a lot of new speakers, Rob Bell talks about it. Aubrey Spears talks about it. But it's kind of like a new thought that, hey, we're in the middle of the restoration of the world. And I just never noticed it until like not too long ago. And to me, it's pretty cool. Like we're part of something bigger. And I I want you to understand that God is fixing the problem. I know we can see it all around us like, and this, this is just like messed up. God, how come you're not doing anything? But he is. He really is. And uh, if you'll click to the next part. One more. Oh, yeah, there's the scripture references. Forgot about it again. Sorry. All right, go ahead. All right. I want you to understand that God also is restoring the world, but he's restoring us. And he's restoring my life every day. And I I think that's amazing. I don't know if you've ever experienced the restoration of God in your life, but there are so many things inside of me that, that are just like crumbled. And like God fixed them. Like, my life is that story. I was born with a disease called cerebral palsy. I'm not supposed to be able to walk very well. The doctor said, he's going to walk with braces till he's 16 years old. God restored my physical body. And now, like, I run around and I yo-yo and I do all sorts of crazy things. But God restored my body. And see, there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. God can restore your soul. God will restore everything about you if we let him. Click it again, please. Let's look at Colossians 1.21. When I read this the first time, I was in El Salvador, and I was like, I'm going to read Colossians, because I never read that book before. I was like, let me see what Colossians has to offer. You know, go eat popcorn. I want to see what the corn is. You know, like I was like, all right, let's see. Colossians 1.22, and this, this is a rocking verse to me. Like, it really, it hit me to the core. And like, no pun intended, <laughs> but like it really, like it got me so much. And I was like, my goodness. And uh, Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians, and uh, they're like a church. So it'd be like Paul writing a letter to us as a group. So let's call it the core. So let's say Paul is writing this letter, and he says this. 
This includes you who were once so far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Okay, let's stop there for a second. I'm in that group. I've definitely had my evil thoughts and actions. Okay, so it's, it's applicable. And then it says this in verse 22. Yet now he has brought you back as his friends. He has done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. As a result, he has brought you into the very presence of God. And here's the part that like gave me chills, man. I was like, what? And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And I was like, hold up. I don't fit in that scripture anymore. Because I know I'm full of faults. But you know what? There's another scripture in the Bible. It says that God sees things that are not as though they were. When God looks at you, He doesn't just see the mistake. He sees the the person who you're going to become. God sees the restored version of humanity in you walking around. Maybe you don't see it, because I certainly don't see it in me all the time. But there are times... When I'm like, yeah, God, you have fixed me so much. You have touched this part of my life and it is alive again and it was once dead. See, God says that you are standing before him perfectly without a single fault. That's what God said to an entire church. See, there's another part in the Bible that says God is not a liar. So we have to believe it. Now, I don't know about you, but that like, that is awesome that God has restored us as a people Click it again, Ms. Pat. Go ahead. Again, just keep clicking, I think, three more. One more. One more. God restores all of us. All the parts of us. He doesn't just restore our spirit. Yeah, He does, like Colossians says. It says that He wipes us clean and He makes us perfect. And He does, and I thank God for that. God also restores our life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this one in particular in a little bit. But I believe that God can restore what we do every day. There are things that happen in life and then you're like, wait a second, hold up. This is so not what I expected my life to be. This is not every day I feel like I do the same thing and it it seems so pointless. God can restore you from that. Because I believe that that's something in your life that when something Like, when you get, like, that fog feeling where, like, every day is monotonous and dull, God didn't create us to live like that. I know that we have to go to school. We have to do the same things every day. We live lives of routine, but that's not how God created us. I believe that tonight, very specifically, God wants to restore some of your zeal for life. The next thing is God restores your mind. I don't know how many friends I have that have fallen away because they allowed their minds to be destroyed little by little. See, little by little, we let things in one at a time and maybe it's what you watch on TV or I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's, it's something that people have told you and you allow that to permeate inside of you and you think about it. Tonight, I believe very specifically, God wants to restore some of your minds. Finally, the one that I think hits the hardest is God wants to restore your dreams. See, we're all at a place in our life right now where the dreams that we have are going to guide the very next step that we take. The dreams that God has placed inside of us are going to do something now. We're at a crux. We're at a spot where we can choose. 
Because you're not too old that it's too late. And you're not too young where you can't do anything except dream. Now we're at a place in our lives where we can put action behind the dreams that are inside of us. And sometimes what happens is over time, we, we kind of lose focus of that dream and it becomes faded. And maybe some of you tonight, I believe that God has put things in your heart. Maybe when you were 12 years old or 13 years old and you began to cultivate it in you and, and you were excited about it and, and you shared it with somebody and you were like, yeah, this is me. And it struck a chord with you. Or, or maybe it was yesterday. I don't know. It could be any time. But somewhere along the line, like the Sistine Chapel, over years and years and years, it's become dull. And you can't even really see what the Creator has painted in your life anymore. But God says, I'll restore you. God is in the business of restoring humanity God says, I see you dreaming that dream and living it out without a single fault. I see you there clean and doing it the way that I planned you to do it. Click it again this time. I think one thing that happens a lot in Christianity, it certainly happened in my life before. And I think that it's, I struggle with it. Because those areas in my life that I need restoration, whatever they were on the, on the list before, whatever parts really hit for you, They've hit for me at, at some point, every, all, every one of them has, has been something that needed restoration. And something that keeps me from going back to God and saying, God, just help me with this part of my life. Is because I feel like, God, I've just, I've gone too far. I've messed up too many times. There's no way you can restore me now. I mean, I just screwed it all up. There's no way I can do it. I want us to study a guy in the Bible and and I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not. You might have. You might not have. I was reading the Old Testament the other day. And I was like, God, I'm reading the Old Testament because I have this goal to get through the Bible in, in my lifetime. And I was like, God, I want to um, read Kings because it's there and you put it there and it's boring. But then I read Kings and I was like, this is not boring. This is really cool. It's like Braveheart. But in reading, and it really happens. And I was like, man, I like Kings. And, and I was like, God, wouldn't it be cool if you showed me something good in Kings that would be really applicable to my life? And then, wham, bam, kablam, there it was. I was like, awesome, God showed me something. So if you'll open your Bible to, I think if you click it, it'll say, First Kings 20, 13 through 22. We're going to talk about King Ahab. Anybody know who that is? King Ahab. All right, a couple of people. Good, good. We're going to talk about King Ahab, and we're going to use a story that maybe you don't know much about. It's not a, it's not a well-touted story, although it should be, because it's pretty amazing what happens. All right. Everybody there? Good. All right, it says this. Then a prophet came to see King Ahab and told him this. This is what the Lord says. Do you see all these enemy forces? Today I'll hand them over to you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Ahab asked, how will he do it? And the prophet replied, this is what the Lord says. The troops of the provincial commanders will do it. Should we attack first, Ahab asked? Yes, the prophet answered. So Ahab mustered the troops of the 232 provincial, I can't say that word, commanders. Then he called out, the rest of the army of his 7,000 men. Okay, what's going on here 
is he's getting his army ready. But I didn't want to go back the whole chapter. So let me tell you who he's fighting against. Three armies have come together. These major armies. So there's like a sea of people. There's no way that Ahab could win this. He actually already told them. They said, King Ahab, give us tribute. You have to start paying us a thousand gallons of olive oil, which is like big time money, you know, back then. A gallon of olive oil is like a Cadillac or something. I don't really know. But it was like a big deal. And um, so they said, you have to pay us a thousand or ten thousand gallons of olive oil. If you don't, we're going to kill you. And King Ahab said, yes. But then this, uh, this prophet came and said, no, don't do that. Let me tell you what's really going to happen. So that's where we picked up on the story. He said, King Ahab, you're going to win. Make a long story short. We're not going to read the rest of it because we don't have time. But King Ahab goes. He gets ready. He goes out to the battlefield. The 30 kings or the three kings, I don't remember how many it was. They're drunk. And they kill them all. Okay? And then what happens is the prophet says to King Ahab, hold up. It's going to happen again. The same group of people, the same massive army, it's going to assemble again and it's going to come and attack you. So King Ahab, be ready. And then when it happens again, the Lord will protect you and he'll give you victory, a miraculous military victory. So that you will know that the Lord is the Lord, that God is the Lord. And so King Ahab does it again. And he wins. He slaughters them. And uh, you may be thinking, like, what does this have to do with anything about restoration? See, I want you to flip back now. Click it one more time, Ms. Pat. To 1 Kings 16.30. Here's where it goes a little crazy. If I can find it. It says this. Oh, wait, that's 25. That's not 30. 29 and 30. It says this, But Ahab did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him, as though it were not enough to live like Jeroboam. He married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethelbal of the Sidonians. I don't know if you know who Jezebel is, but that name probably rings a bell. The Bible says later on, this is the most evil king that Israel ever had. Anytime it talks about somebody being evil after this point, it talks about like he his fathers had done, evil like King Ahab. The guy is the personification of badness. All right? He's the worst person in the entire New Testament. I mean Old Testament, sorry. The worst king they ever had. And if you read it, they have some pretty sorry kings. Israel never had a good king. At least not as much as I've read so far. But uh because I'm not done, <laughs> but not yet. So, but what's interesting about this? We turn over to the right, and then God does the miracle. It means it happened after. God knows that he's the most evil king in the, in the history of Israel. He tells them. He says, you're the most evil king. It's written, he was the most evil king. And then God does this amazing miracle, saves him twice from a sea of an army. Like this crazy army. And the thing that that spoke to me right away was it said, God was saying to Ahab, I want to restore you, Ahab. I want you to know that I'm the Lord. So here's the thing. If we can just apply this to our lives tonight, if you can catch this, 
it's going to re- revolutionize who you are and how you accept God's restoration in your life. If God could offer the chance of restoration to the most evil king in all of Israel's history, I think He can offer it to you too. Tonight He does. See, King Ahab didn't take it. And he died a horrible death and dogs ate him and all kind of craziness. But God still offered it to him. God is, is amazing. He'll take the most evil person around and say, hey, I'll restore you. I'll show you that I'm the Lord. I think tonight we can take that and understand that no matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've taken the restoration of God that He's put in our life and we've crumpled it back up and we've just thrown it back in His face. God did it twice for King Ahab. Twice for the most evil man in the world. And continually, God comes to you and He's saying, I want to restore you. Tonight, there are some of you here who are in desperate need of restoration in certain parts of your life. And I don't know what they are. But God is saying, I want to restore you. Click it again, Miss that. One more time. See, I've been talking about different parts of your life. No one is restored all at once. One more time. This is that painting I showed you before, and it's got those pieces all over it. It's got those like, it looks like someone scrapes the painting away. And when I first saw it, I thought, it's messed up. It's, it's no good. And see, sometimes our life feels that way. We look at everything that's going on around us, and it's like, God, how could you be restoring me? I feel so broken. I feel so ugly. I feel like I'm not a masterpiece. Because if you look at that, it doesn't look like a masterpiece. And I know you can't really see it, but it looks like it's scratched. It doesn't look like a work of art that's priceless in value. Sometimes our lives look like that. It's not because they're not worth anything. It's because they're so precious that God wants them to shine like He intended because it's so important that it shines like He wanted. It's so important that He restores you perfectly that He's taking the time to do it piece by piece. First, He's going to work over here and then He's going to work in another spot in your life. And, and it looks scattered and it feels, it feels like, like crazy. It feels like all over the place. It feels like nothing's in, in shape. Nothing's pretty about your life. Nothing looks the way it's supposed to. But it's because God is restoring us. And some of you have been thinking that, and I, and I really feel that that's true, because I know, I know that I think that sometimes, like, God, how could this be? But it's really, he's just restoring different spots, different parts. Go ahead, Miss Pat, and click to the next slide. Sometimes it feels like, God, but my life doesn't feel restored. And if you look at that, what it is, it's a candle that's gone out, and the, the smoke is rising. See, there's a couple of different reasons. While that, why that smoke and that, that um, it plasters back over the, the art. Sometimes in our lives, it, it feels like that happens. And, and I started to wonder why. God, why does sometimes my life doesn't feel restored? Why sometimes, God, do I feel like I'm that dingy version of the picture of you? I don't shine brightly like I used to. God, why is it that my life is, is dim? Why is it? That is, I, my life is not clear for others to see you in it. And, uh, and I think it goes back to this. Go ahead and click to the next one. I think that sometimes, like I said earlier, our life gets caught up in like a fog. Like I think that we, uh, 
we live in a, in a very routine world. And I think every day we do the same thing. And we do it again and again and again. And so many times we get caught up that the visions that God has placed in our lives, the, the power of God inside of us, we forget about it. Again, I know that sounds crazy. Like, how could you forget about the power of God? But if I'm going to be real with you, if I'm going to be honest and open, and I do it all the time. Like, I watch Seinfeld and like, you know, 30 minutes of my life is gone. And I'm not saying Seinfeld's bad. It's a great show. It's funny. But then sometimes, like, I get into a rut where every day I watch Seinfeld and then I watch something else and then I get busy doing this and I, and I get so caught up in stupidity. Like, really, Seinfeld's not going to change the world. And I'm not saying you shouldn't watch TV and you shouldn't enjoy yourself. But what I'm saying is this, that sometimes we don't even realize what's happening and we're caught up in so many things and we put the things of God on hold. We don't even realize it. And our Sistine Chapel roof is starting to look black again because we just let this fog of life take over. We let this candle smoke of life just smolder up and we, we miss what God is doing right in front of us. And, and I know I do that. And I don't mean to be harsh if any of you do it as well. But I know that God wants to restore it. That God wants to take that wax off of our life. And He wants us to shine bright again. He wants us to be a restored people. Click it again, Miss Pat. This is one of the most important things I thought of in it. And that God really spoke to my heart. Is how do we fight that? Because it's one thing to know that it exists. Because I know I do it. I know that I get caught up in, the, in stupid, stupid stuff all the time. And I get caught up in like whatever's going on. But how do we stop and say, okay, God, get me back on track? How do we continually live a restored life? And I think that Paul showed us a way to prevent it. And Paul was like Timothy's mentor. I don't know if you know that or not. Probably you do. You might not. But anyway, Paul was like, Timothy's good friends, and he was teaching Timothy how to live the life of Christ, how to live a life that would reflect Christ to other people. And so Paul, who was kind of a wise person, I mean, he wrote half the New Testament, he kind of had it together. He told Timothy this in, in 2 Timothy, if you'll look at it with me, 2 Timothy 1, 5. And, uh, and I think that we hear this verse so many times, but a lot of times it's used out of context. And so we miss the very strong meaning of it. We miss the depth because people just use it. And, here, and not, not to say that they're bad, but it's just, I think that it was meant for so much more. Second Timothy 1.5 says this, I know that you sincerely trust the Lord, for you have the faith of your mother and your grandmother, Lois. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given you the spirit of fear and of timidity, but of power, love, and of self-discipline. All right, let's break it apart, because I think that this is the key to living a life where we don't get caught in that fog. Paul said, Timothy, fan into flame the gift that was spoken over you by the laying on of hands. Fan is an action word here. It implies that Timothy has to do something. It's a verb. Fan into flame. Do this. 
and then you will not lose the gift that, is, that has been placed inside of you. So here's my thing. There are so many things that God has spoken over our lives. And I don't care who you are or if you're brand new as a Christian or you've been walking with God for a long time or maybe you're not even a Christian and you're like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Let me tell you now, God has a purpose for your day. God has a purpose and a reason for every step that you take. Every day has a significance in history. Maybe that significance is to go to class and learn something that you can better use in your future. But it's not just to live a life and to live the day and be, you know, blah all day long. God has a significance for every day. That's true. Paul said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, don't waste this time is basically what he was saying. Work on the things that I've spoken over your life. And I think that God says the same thing to you tonight. He says, fan into flame the things in your life of value. Make them bigger. When you fan a flame, it grows. So what does that mean? It means if you're called to preach, preach more. It means if you're called to, you know, be an engineer, study hard. But do it with a passion. Don't just do it to do it. If you're called to be a teacher, use that for Christ's glory. Use it to impact the lives of the kids that you teach. And if you're in school to do something like that, take that and use, um, study with that mindset that I'm going to take this gift and I'm going to fan it into flame so that I can be productive for God's kingdom. And I think that that's a real practical thing. And I have one more quote that I really don't know where I got it. Uh, I don't know where I heard it or what happened, but I, I looked up on my wall the other day, and if you know me, if you've ever been in my room, I write things all the time, and they're like all over my wall, because I have to remember continually that like my life is not about stupid stuff. My life is about something important. So anytime God speaks something to me, I write it down on a big piece of paper, and I stick it to the wall somewhere. And this is the last one I wrote. Would you uh, click it? A life of intent leads to a life of intensity. Think about it. A life of intent leads to a life of intensity. If you wake up in the morning with a purpose, your life will have purpose. See, God has given us all a purpose, but sometimes we wake up and we go eat our breakfast. We don't even think about what the day is going to hold. I've found on a real practical level that when I wake up and I write down a list of what I need to do today, my life, takes on purpose. It takes on a meaning. And I get those things done. If I have the same things that need to be done and I get up and I don't write it down like I need to do this, this, and this, nothing happens. I don't do it. Like if I need to study for a test and I wake up, okay, I'm going to study today. What do you do first? You eat and you check your email 20 times and whatever else. You know, you don't do it. But if you write it out from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, I'm going to study. From 9 to 9.30, I'm going to break. From nine, from ten to ten to eleven, whatever. If you if you'll make your life have an intent for the day, it will lead to a life of intensity that goes spiritually as well. If God speaks something to your heart, if He says, "I want you to move in this direction," I want you to to think about this part of your life. Think about this possibility for my kingdom. Begin to take steps in that direction. As many of you know, I felt called to mission since I was a kid. 
some of you may not know that, but if, if you know me, you know. Because it's what I think about. It's what I do. It's what I... I've taken a step in that direction. And guess what? It's coming to pass. But if God puts this vision and this desire in my heart to reach the world, and I think, boy, what a great desire, and I never take a step in that direction, if I never move with intent, it's never going to happen. See, and I don't mean to be like anything. I don't mean to be, you know, harsh, but... If you never take a step towards the dream that God has put in your life, it's never going to happen. Begin to think, God has placed this in my heart. Begin to take a step towards it. Begin to live your life with the intent to accomplish what God has put inside of you. And it will happen. I think it's interesting what Jill told me when I walked in the room. We were talking about this. And just randomly, she didn't know what I was preaching on. And she said that God spoke that to her heart today. That she needs to live her life with action behind what she's thinking. That God's going to speak something to her, but if she doesn't do anything on it, it's not going to happen. So I want us to understand that today. And that's what I have for us. I don't know if you got anything out of it. I know that for me, I needed to hear it. I know that for me, I need to live a life with intent because I desire more than anything for my life to be an intense experience. I don't want to just skate by and make enough money to pay the bills. That's not enough for me. I want to impact the world. And I know that many of you do too. You want to touch the people around you. And I applaud you and I know that you can do it. I know that God has restored you and He will use you to restore others. Mika, will you come play? I know, guys, tonight that I hope you got, I hope you understood. I hope you understood what was going on. I hope you understood what I was trying to say, that God can take the just dingy parts of your life and He can bring them to light again. Just like they took the Sistine Chapel and they took a, a magnificent work of art and over the years it had become dingy and just kind of like ugly and they, they brought it to what the true artist intended. They brought it to be a masterpiece. Guys, tonight, God says, there's some of you out here who are dingy right now. And not your whole life. No, not everything. But there are parts of your life that look dingy and just dirty. And, and you're like, God, I want that to be clean again. Tonight, God wants to restore that in you. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a... Maybe it could be so many things. I can't even put words on it because I know that that's true. I know that so many things inside of me have at one point or another been dingy. Maybe you are stuck in that fall and you're like, God, I just want my life to have purpose. I don't want to just go to work and make it. I want my life to have meaning. Maybe that's where you're at tonight. And God says He wants to restore that part of your life. He wants to make it bright. Maybe some of you struggle in your mind. And you're like, God, if you, if you really are everywhere, then there's no way you could help me out. Because you see what I think about. No. If God can help King Ahab and show him that he's the Lord, tonight God wants to take those places in your life that you've been like holding on to and that are real dark, and he wants to make them clean again so that they can shine his brightness. See, God made a masterpiece when he made you. It wasn't like you're just like some random creation. 
The Bible says that we're His handiwork. He formed us in it. And He made us with passion and with, with emotion. And He made us to be specifically how He wanted us to be. Let's pray. God, I thank You for tonight. God, I know that You are not done here. Lord, I know that You want to restore people. God, You have restored me so many times, and yet there's still things that I need. There's still areas in my life that need to be restored. God, I pray that Your Spirit will be here. God, we pray at the beginning that You would do more than we ever thought possible. Guys, guess what? God will do it. He'll restore you more than you ever thought possible. That's the promise of God. It's in the Bible. All throughout the Bible, we see people restored. David was restored after his sin with Bathsheba. Adam was restored after his sin in the garden. Eve was restored after her sin in the garden. Every single one of the disciples left Jesus. It wasn't just Peter. They ran away when he was at his hour of the most need. And guess what? He restored every one of them. And every one of them went on to minister to so many people that they've changed everything about the history of the world. And they all screwed up. And God restored every one of them. Tonight, God wants to restore you. Guys, and I don't know what parts of our lives that need restoration. But I'll tell you what. There's no reason for us to go home dark and dingy. There's no reason for us to go home and go back to the fog that we were living in before. If you want prayer, if you want to say, God, I need you, man, let's get prayer. Let's get ministry. So just, if that's you, if you want to do that, just come on up and let's pray. So if you want to say, God, I need to be restored in certain areas of my life, come to the front and we'll have somebody pray with you.